Proverbs 14.12, there is a way that seems right to a person, but in the end it is the way to death. We see this verse play out as a live action drama in the book of Jonah. As Jonah chooses to go his way towards the realm of death rather than God's way towards Nineveh where he's been called. The geography of Jonah is constantly reflecting to us his spiritual condition. And so as he sets sail for Tarshish, the author doesn't tell us that he's going west away from Nineveh, but rather down into the ship. He goes down to Joppa to find the ship, down into the ship, and then he's going down to Tarshish, all of it to get away from the Lord's presence. And sure, it seems right to Jonah to refuse to preach God's message to the Assyrians. He's worried that they're going to hear God's message and then repent. And those Assyrians, they're really, really wicked people, and they're not worthy of salvation from Jonah's perspective. They deserve God's wrath without warning. And so Jonah says, it's right that they would suffer for their sins. And so I will go my way, and I will not preach to them. Sure, it seems right to Jonah to flee from the presence of the Lord. But the end of his rebellion is death. Jonah's way ends at the bottom of the sea in the belly of a fish. Because God gets what he wants. It's actually through God's judgment of Jonah that Jonah is saved from certain death. That's the main idea this morning, that God brings salvation to Jonah's, that's repenting rebels like you and me. God brings salvation to Jonah's through judgment. God's mercy upsets our plans and swallows us whole. As he resets the course of our lives. And I'm going to exhort you this morning to receive God's mercy. Last week we considered obstacles to Jonah's obedience, those things that might keep him from obeying God. And this week we're going to consider obstacles to Jonah's disobedience. God is going to put obstacles in Jonah's way as he tries to flee from his presence. God throws a storm at Jonah. He uses lots to expose Jonah. He uses the sailors to judge Jonah. And he uses the fish as a further vehicle of his judgment and ultimately the means of his bringing salvation to Jonah. Salvation will come through God's judgment. Before we get started, let's pray and ask for God's help. Father, we thank you for this time we have to spend together in your word. Pray that we would be changed by it rather than hardened to it. We need you to show up.
If you, if you don't show up this morning, God, then we are, we are wasting our time. If we come here and we don't expect to, to meet with you, we are wasting our time. We need to hear from you. We need to be changed by you and satisfied in you. So speak, Lord, and help your people to listen. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Jonah, starting in verse 1 of chapter 1, we'll recap really quickly what we did last week. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach or cry out against it, because their evil has come up before me. Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. God calls Jonah to go and preach to a Gentile nation in an unprecedented mission for a Jewish prophet. And Jonah does, in a different way, what a lot of prophets do when God calls them to do things. They disagree. Typically, this happens verbally. If you remember Moses in the book of Exodus, uh, God is like, hey, I'm going to save my people from Egypt, and I'm going to use you to do it. And Moses is like, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't you know that I don't talk really well? And the people, they, they won't believe me. They won't listen to me. Are you sure you can't send anybody else? And eventually, God gets his way and Moses goes. Now, Jonah disagrees with God, but he takes a different tact to show his disagreement. He, he skips the whole verbal argument part, and he just tucks tail and he runs. He is not going to do this. He will not go to the evil people of Nineveh and preach about God to them. He will not give them the opportunity to have salvation. Their cruelty has earned God's wrath. And really, in Jonah's eyes, they're bad people. How could God even think of forgiving the likes of the Assyrians? And so, Jonah goes his own way. But God, verse 4, but the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea, and such a great storm arose that this, on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. This is really neat. Uh, it, it's hard to see in English, but the ship has been personalized here. The ship is threatening to break apart on Jonah in the same way that the wind is hurled onto the sea. God is using the sea and the ship to get Jonah awake to his sin. Verse 5, the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down into the lowest part of the vessel and had stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. The sailors, these are professionals 
They're, they're, they're mariners. This is what they do every day. They sail on the sea. They've seen a storm or two in their day. Begin to freak out. And they are throwing their cargo overboard and they are calling out to their gods. Perhaps part of the reason that they throw the cargo overboard is not only to lighten the ship, but as a way to try and make a sacrifice to their personal deities. And see, the sailors at this time were uh, very superstitious and they each kind of believed in having their own little personal god that looked over them. They're trying to figure out what has caused this unnatural, supernatural storm to come upon us. We are not going to make it. And so they're throwing everything overboard. They're, they're calling out for salvation. And Jonah sleep. Maybe, maybe we can relate a little bit to And uh, I know that for a few hours on Friday, uh, me and my children just watched out the window as all heck broke loose and debris flew everywhere. Trees fell down, siding came off of the house, you know, uh, roofing came off. There was, there was stuff everywhere. It was, it was a mess. And at our house, the, the wind uh, blew so hard, like you could just hear it howling in through the windows like a ghost, right? Ooh, over and over again. It was intense. Power went out. You couldn't have ignored it if you tried. This is what's going on around Jonah. Professional sailors are worried about their ship sinking. And Jonah sleeps. Jonah is missing God's work on the sea and in the ship. God in this storm means to wake Jonah up to his sin so that he will turn around and head not for Tarshish but for Nineveh. He wants to remind Jonah of his identity and of his role. He is God's prophet, not Jonah's person. Jonah sleeps. He misses God's mercy to him because he is contented in his sin. He's able to because he's shut himself off to anything else. He doesn't want to hear from God. That's why he's fleeing from God's presence, fleeing from the land that he heard from God, fleeing from God's people. Notice, the sailors are each crying out to their God, but Jonah does not cry out. They're praying, but Jonah is sleeping. The storm is to be God's mercy to Jonah that would lead him to repentance. But Jonah misses God's mercy. I wonder, what might God be doing in your life right now that is His mercy to you? Are you sleeping through it? Have you recognized it? What, what might God be trying to wake you up to? 
Jonah misses God's mercy because he sleeps through God's storm. He is able to sleep because he has a false peace. He has a false sense of security. He thinks that he has gotten away from God, that he doesn't have to worry about hearing God's words to him. And he's just snuggled up with his sin like a blanket. He's going to do his thing. Go his own way. But God will wake him up. I am I, fearful that some of you come to church week after week a little bit like Jonah on his ship to Tarshish. Uh, kind of sleepwalking in your sin. Not really looking to be changed or challenged. I fear that that some of you uh, that come here week after week, that this is all you do in terms of the Christian life. That your worship starts at 11 o'clock and it ends at 12 o'clock, whether I have been done speaking at that point or not. I fear that some of, some of us in this room believed a light version of the gospel. An easy believism that uh, says, walk the aisle once, pray a prayer once, and then live however the hell you want. We sleepwalk in, we sleepwalk out. God is trying week after week to wake us with His Word. And yet, you continue to sleep. You have your buddy Jesus who doesn't ask anything of you and helps you to sleep contentedly. It's like a squishy little teddy bear. Friends, the the real Jesus, the one that we meet in the pages of Scripture, is gentle as a lamb, yes, but he's also fierce as a lion. He is a servant, yes, but he is also king. And he demands your life, not a small fraction of it. He demands your whole life. I wonder, does he have it? Do not sleepwalk through storms that God is trying to use to wake you up to your sin. Our God is a God who challenges us and changes us each and every day. He is a God who is in the process of making us what He's declared us to be in Christ, which is holy. He doesn't let His children continue in sin. He disciplines them. if that's you this morning, wake up and begin following the model of the sailors. 
Cry out to God. Pray. Pray that you would live out the dynamic relationship you were supposed to have with Him and His people. Pray that you would be participating in His work in the world rather than sleeping contentedly in your sin and your selfishness. John, God means to wake Jonah from his selfishness and his sin. Jonah remains asleep. That is, until verse 6. The captain approached him and said, What are you doing? Sound asleep. Get up. Call out to your God. Maybe this God will consider us and we won't perish. This is really awesome. It's easy to miss in English. Uh, The captain's words that he wakes Jonah up with match exactly the first and last command that God gives to Jonah in verse 2. Up, call out, or preach. Right? He tells Jonah to get up and to preach against Nineveh. And Jonah runs away from that call. He's trying to hide from God's word in the bowels of the ship as he sleeps through the storm. And what does word in the mouth of a pagan sailor? Up, call out. Only now, the the call is not to call out against the people of Nineveh because God's judgment is coming upon them, but to get up and call out to his God so that judgment won't fall upon them, upon Jonah himself. The sailors are all calling out to their gods. They're all praying, and Jonah still remains prayerless. I wonder, are you this hesitant to pray? John Calvin said that the chief exercise of faith is prayer. That's really poetic, really deep. What it means is like, you're really in step with God. You're doing the Christian life right when you're praying. Praying is like breathing for the Christian. And so, It would make sense if prayer is that vital to our relationship with God, it would make sense that everything in our world would work against prayer. There's always an excuse not to pray. But no, you are not strong enough to do anything on your own. You need God. And prayerlessness is tantamount to faithlessness. The power of the storm, the breaking apart of the ship, or the words of the captain. He will not pray. For he is hiding himself, attempting to hide himself and his sin from God. Verse 7 Come on, the sailors said to each other. Let's cast lots. Then we'll know who is to blame for this trouble we're in. And so they cast lots, and the lot singled out Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us who is to blame for this trouble we're in. What is your business, and where are you from? What is your country, 
And what people are you from? God has tried to bring salvation to Jonah through his judgment in the storm, in the ship breaking apart, in the words of the captain. Jonah has ignored it. He's refused to pray. He doesn't want to call out to God. He doesn't want to expose who he really is to these sailors. And so they get together and they play a game of Yahtzee, right? Casting lots, nobody really knows what it is, but we have like a few vague details. There were a dice of some kind, maybe a rock, They put it into a little receptacle or cup and then they threw that stuff out and how the dice or rocks landed would correspond to a person or an event and they would be able to how these lots were cast. And so they get their Yahtzee cup, they put their dice in, they shake it up, they throw it out and they go, all right, according to these dice, Jonah is the problem. God uses the lots cast by the sailors to single out Jonah. He's not going to be able to hide anymore from who he is or who his God is. It's interesting, these sailors are doing everything they can to figure out how they can satisfy God's wrath while Jonah does nothing. That's what this, uh, some of what this barrage of questions are in verse 8. They're saying, hey, who's, who's brought this trouble on us? Why are we in deep, deep trouble here? And it becomes apparent that it's Jonah. Jonah is the problem. You see that more evidently in verse 12. He says, for I know that I'm to blame for this great storm. Jonah is the problem. Jonah's sin has brought this storm not only upon himself, but upon the sailors that he is sailing with. Sin is always going to affect everyone around you. Your sin affects other people. You might think that you're sinning in private, but the consequences of your sin are always corporate. Sin will seep through your pores like sweat. That's really gross. And it will... This past week, we've been fighting the flu and cold and strep throat in my house, and we thought we were over it, and we took Caden. I picked him up from school on Monday, and then he had all of a sudden a fever and all of those symptoms, had flu and strep, and so we said, we've got to be done with this. And so we quarantined him in a little room off the side of the house, and he wasn't allowed to come out. The other kids talked to him through the glass and the door. It was really hardcore didn't work out since Chelsea and my baby are sick today, but, but we tried. But, but anyhow, we cut him off from everybody else because we go, this is trouble. If he interacts with everyone else and touches stuff, you know, kids are, then all of us are going to end up sick. This is how sin works. It spreads. Its consequences come upon everybody that is in the house. Your sin affects other people. And it will bring harm to you and to them. To to continue in sin without repenting is to invite God's judgment into your life. To sin unrepentantly is to invite God's discipline into your life. Because God does not allow his children 
to act like devils. He loves us and he wants us so that we might learn to be holy. Because holiness brings happiness. Jonah's sin is affecting those around him. And he has now been exposed. Verse 9, he finally confesses. I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. Two things we see in Jonah's confession. He reveals who he is and who God is. He can't run from his identity as God's prophet any longer. He has to tell them exactly who he is and what he's doing. I am God's prophet, a Hebrew. I worship the Lord or fear the Lord. What's funny here is we see Jonah's hypocrisy kind of highlighted for us. He says he fears the Lord or he worships the Lord. But we know that he's going the opposite direction from where God called him to go. We know that he is in blatant disobedience. His hypocrisy is there for all to see. Sometimes a hypocrite is nothing more than somebody who is changing. But more often than not, a hypocrite is somebody who is play-acting and is self-deceived. Jonah is saying the right things. He's confessing the right theological truths, but his life is all out of balance. Brothers and sisters, theology without doxology is dumb. The right words Right theology and wrong living still leaves you wrong. Jonah is in sin. He's able uh, to say the right things, but he is still behaving the wrong way. I think sometimes this happens in our churches as we uh, get contented. We learn Christianese. We learn how to, to say different things and, and kind of come off like we have it all together and we're, we're really walking with the Lord, but behind the scenes, we're a mess, right? Behind the scenes, we are fleeing from the Lord's presence. Don't do that. Silly. Jonah tells them who he is and who God is. Jonah in in trying to avoid preaching to pagans and fleeing from Nineveh towards Tarshish, ends up preaching to pagans. He tells them who God is. He's the real God, the God of the storm and of the sea. He's the God of the land. Jonah says he fears God, but his life doesn't line up with that. In contrast to these pagan sailors, when Jonah tells them about God, look how they respond. Verse 10, The men were seized by a great fear and said to him, What have you done? The men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's
for the sea was getting worse and worse. These sailors respond to God. They, they want to please him. They want to um, sate his anger. They're like, all right, Jonah, you're the problem. What do we need to do to make this right, to make this storm abate? Jonah answers, pick me up and throw me into the sea so that it will calm down for you. For I know that I'm to blame for this great storm that is against you. So Jonah tells them, you, you want to honor this God. The way you do that, the way you stop this storm, the way you honor this God is by throwing me overboard. The people will find relief from God's judgment through the sacrifice of God's prophet. Though if you're like me, you go, why do they have to throw him? Like, why can't Jonah just, like, jump overboard? <laughs> right? This is a logical question, I think. Uh, I've, got, I've got three potential reasons for you. One, we need to be shown that just as the cargo that is thrown overboard early on, Jonah has become a useless vessel in the face of God's judgment. His sinfulness has made him useless. And so he can be thrown overboard. There's a connection here. Uh, I don't know what words you have in verse 4 in your translations. Through, hurled, cast. And so God... Now Jonah's saying, you have to throw, hurl, cast me overboard to stop the storm. Here's the point. God is in control of all of this. God is bringing judgment to Jonah. God is making Jonah, he's leading Jonah to repentance. He's not going to let Jonah get to Tarshish. Second reason that they might need to throw him overboard is throughout Scripture, God uses the nations to judge his people. And so we might be having a picture of the Gentiles judging the Jews here. The nations are bringing judgment to God's prophet by casting him overboard. And then thirdly, I think uh, this is for the sailors to show that they are on God's side rather than Jonah's side. And that they are seeking to honor God through the sacrifice of the prophet. Jonah tells them to throw him so that they won't be counted with him worthy of God's judgment. And it really is interesting. We see uh, in verse 12, he says, throw, throw me overboard. I know I'm to blame for the storm that's against you. That, that Jonah's kind of warmed up to these sailors. And one of the things that stands out to me is, uh, I don't know if Jonah hated all Gentiles or just the Assyrians, but one of the things I, I got when I read this and thought about it was, people, we only hate people when we're able to dehumanize them and demonize them as more wicked than us, more evil than us, like, like they're monsters of some kind. But, but, but what happens when we get to know people is that we realize that they're like us. They have families like us. They love their children like us. They enjoy work like us. They have hobbies like us. And it becomes apparent that they're broken and 
They need Jesus like us. That they're really not... What people in your life can you get to know more? Who can you love well? Who who have you written off in your life as unworthy of God's grace? Someone who would never respond to God's word. Get to know them. Love them. And share with them. Let's not give Jonah too much credit though. He cares about the sailors, and he wants to stop the storm of God's wrath. But he also does not want to obey God. Because there's another way we can stop this whole storm, right? He can simply cry out. Notice Jonah still hasn't cried out. He still hasn't prayed. He can simply confess his sin to God and repent. And say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm ready to go to Nineveh. Let's turn the ship around. Storm stop, they get, you know... A little yui, good to go. But Jonah is not willing to do that. He's not willing to pray. He's not willing to repent. Jonah would rather die than turn from his sin. Jonah would rather die than obey God's word. There is a way that seems right to a person. But in the end, it is the way to death. Jonah refuses to pray. They seem like good dudes. Uh, They're not like in a hurry to cast Jonah overboard. Verse 13, Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they couldn't because the sea was raging against them more and more. So they called out to the Lord. These pagan sailors are praying to God. Jonah still won't. They called out to the Lord. Please, Lord. Also, every time you see Lord in this text, it's God's personal name, Yahweh. They're using God's personal name to call out to him, and Jonah won't speak. They called out to the Lord. Please, Lord, don't let us perish because of this man's life. Don't charge us with innocent blood. For you, Lord, have done just as you pleased. They acknowledge that God does what he wants. They ask his forgiveness, that they won't be counted guilty of Jonah's blood. And then they sacrifice the prophet to the storm. Verse 15, they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. The men were seized by a great fear of the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. I mean, can you imagine this? Waves crashing against the side of the boat, wind blowing you off your feet, lightning and thunder crashing around you, and all of a sudden, uh, Jonah, his toes haven't even hit the water yet, and everything goes still. And the sun comes out. And these sailors who were just recently calling out to their personal gods all of a sudden, their fear that has been growing throughout this story turns into faith. And they offer sacrifices and make promises to the one true God. 
they worship in response to God. Jonah. God loves to work miracles in unexpected places. And Jonah, well, he thought that he would be going to his death and escape the command to go to Nineveh. But God, he's not done with Jonah yet. And so Jonah is not allowed to die. Verse 17, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. The fish becomes God's judgment of Jonah and the vehicle of God's salvation to Jonah. Jonah does not call out. Jonah does not pray until he is in the belly of the fish in the depths of the sea. It's in the belly of the fish, in the shadow of Sheol. It's it's in the depths of death that Jonah finally realizes, I have to call out to God. He does that in chapter 2. And God raises him back to life as the fish spits him out onto dry land. Jonah's salvation comes to him through his judgment. And so does ours. Our salvation, like the salvation of the sailors, comes to us through the judgment of God's prophet, the true and better Jonah. See, Jesus is the true and better Jonah who offers himself as a sacrifice in obedience to God's will. Jesus is the true and better Jonah who goes into the storm of God's wrath so that we don't have to. Jesus is the true and better Jonah who goes not into the belly of a fish, but into the heart of the earth for three days before God raises him from the dead. Jesus is the true and better Jonah who doesn't flee from God's presence, but brings God's presence to us. Jesus is the true and better Jonah who does not fight the storm, but commands it. Mark 4, verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, Jesus told them, Let's cross over to the other side of the sea. So they left the crowd and took him along, since he was in the boat, and other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking over the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. And Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on the cushion. And Jesus isn't sleeping in a false peace, though, as he runs from God, contented in his sins. No, Jesus sleeps in a nice, restful peace because God is with him. So they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care that we are going to die? Jesus got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Silence.
said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And the disciples were terrified and asked one another, Who then is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him. Who is this? This is God in the flesh. This is Jesus. This is Jesus Christ who brings salvation to anyone who puts their faith in him by bearing their judgment. This is Jesus who was everything we were supposed to be so that in him we can be everything we're meant to be. Friends, God uses all of these things, all of these obstacles to turn Jonah around. And he uses the cross as a giant obstacle to your disobedience. Friends, God would have the cross swallow you up so that you might go into the grave with Christ and be raised from the dead with Christ. God wants to bring you salvation through judgment. The judgment for your sin that fell upon his son. The question is, will his judgment lead you to repentance and salvation? Or will you continue to rebel and follow that way that seems so right to you, but ends in death. God's mercy upsets. Will you trust God? Will you follow Jesus rather than your own way? There's a, right that see, a way that seems right to a person, but its end is the way to death. My hope is that you'll follow the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that you bring salvation to Jonah's like us. We are just as foolish as Jonah, maybe more stubborn, and yet you love us. You are patient with us. You pursue us just as relentlessly as you pursued Jonah. God, we thank you that you have saved us through the sacrifice of Jesus, who died in our place for our sins and rose from the dead for our justification. Thank you for the gift of faith. And we pray that we would not take your mercy for granted, but that we would daily be swallowed up in it. That we would daily be committing not just a few portions of our day to you, but the whole thing. That, that daily we would seek to hear from you. That we would be woken up, not by a captain's voice, but by your words to us in scripture. That we wouldn't have to be forced to pray, but that we would delight to meet with you.
You are the one who makes life worth living. You are our satisfaction, our hope, and our stay. You are the one who brings peace to us so that we can sleep like Jesus through storms of circumstance. We pray that if we are in sin, you would wake us up with storms of judgment so that we might repent once more and follow Jesus. Thank you for being a father who loves his children enough to discipline them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.